I wonder why 10,000 is the number that a lot of these songwriters come up with. You know, he's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He could have called 10,000 angels. Could be that 10,000 just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. And people have criticized that song, by the way. Uh, he could have called 10,000 angels. Um, you know, mainly because the scripture itself talks about him calling 12 legions of angels. So it's a very different number, you might say. But again, when we're talking about singing with a proper understanding of things, it does take a uh, mental aspect of it. And uh, one of the things that we need to think about with singing any of these songs is I need to know, number one, what it is I'm singing. And number two, um, the importance of that and what that really means. And uh, while we can do some mental gymnastics, I think, to, as we might say, sing over the Calvinism, uh, you know, so we, we've got a lot of Calvinism in our hymns. So let's just be clear about that, right? But if we properly understand the scriptures and we dispense with the assumptions of Calvinism, we can still sing it, right? Um, oh, that fount of every blessing has a lot of those elements. Uh, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Uh, some people who believe in the perseverance of the saints would take that to mean that means that I'm saved. There's nothing I can ever do to not be saved, you know. But just because people take that song that way doesn't invalidate the song. We can still sing it. It's the sense that we're, we're giving our trust over to the Lord. Uh, we know that nobody else can take away our salvation uh, except ourselves and in our actions. So just a few things to, to think about there. Um, I appreciate so much what Andrew had to say. Uh, does anybody have any questions or comments about anything that he did or said? Okay. You mentioned uh, between the, you know, um, well, I can't even remember what part of that song that is. Um, look at, look at, uh, what is it, 420? Yeah, so the second line of the third verse. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Fetter is just a chain or a, a strap or something to to bind your hands together or bind you to something. That's really what uh, he, he wanted me to, to point that out. So, so just so that we know what that is, what a fetter is. Um, I appreciate so much what he had to say. I, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, of course, we know the context of that is spiritual gifts, but the truism stands, right? Uh, I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. We need to be singing with the understanding. And one of the problems that we'll have with a lot of these songs is sometimes they're, they've been written 100, sometimes two or 300 years ago in some cases. And it's like when you're reading the King James Version, right? There's nothing... In fact, I like the King James Version. I appreciate it in so many ways, but sometimes you've got to do some dynamics. Sometimes you've got to do some mental gymnastics to kind of work past that. I don't like the fact, for example, that one reason why I stopped preaching from the King James is that I, I would sort of try to make the text a little bit easier in my preaching by sort of modifying it. And someone tells me, told me one time, well, you don't preach with the King James. I said, well, no, I do. But I was sort of modifying it sort of on the fly, and it really, really didn't do well. <laughs> but 
in in a similar case with a lot of these songs, you've got sort of this other wall that you're having to hurdle with some of the language. One of the examples that I might uh, show when you look at Proverbs 16 and verse 31. Does anybody have a King James version? Anybody using a King James version? Proverbs 16 and verse 31. You ready? Yeah. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. What's a hoary head? White-haired guy. White-haired guy, yeah. And the other translations will have like gray-haired or gray-headed. You know, the idea. But but who who says that? Who's going to use that term today? Nobody, right? And so, again, I guess what I'm saying is that we need to know what we're singing. And we need to know why we're singing it. One of the songs that uh, I've liked in previous years, anybody ever sung In Christ Alone or heard that song? Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Um, I really liked that song until a brother ruined it for me. Uh, a brother just sort of told me, I think it was last year, he pointed out one of the last in one of the last verses the line is, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And he said, just think about that a minute. And I thought about it, and you know, yeah, I guess you could say, uh, from, but you know, I, I was starting to try to rationalize it in my brain. Like, well, maybe, maybe you could just say that this is from the start of my life in Christ to my final breath. Well, even then, we know that you can fall away. And so there was one of these things, and I'm not saying we can't sing that song. I'm just saying that there's one of those things where you kind of take a step back and you're saying, wow, I'm not really sure that I need to be singing that. Or is that, is that useful? Just, uh, just wanted to bring that up. We need to know what we're singing and why we're singing it. But I do want to go into, let's go to 447. Ivory Palaces was the first one that, that I chose. And a lot of mine seem to center around... Uh, some aspect of what I would call Lord's Supper songs. And I think really that's one of the most important aspects about this. Uh, because when when we are preparing for the Lord's Supper, our mental focus needs to be there. And and when we're singing a song and we, maybe we don't, excuse me, don't quite know what it means, um, that, that, can, that can negatively impact what we're doing. What I want to do with each of these songs is specifically just pick out some phrases from these songs that I found kind of obscure, maybe, and kind of go over them. At the same time, let's turn on our Bibles to Psalm 45, because uh, that's quoted up here. And I, I may be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure that, at least with hymns of worship, it was R.J. Stevens that picked out most of the scripture references in these songs. I may be wrong. I know a lot of them are, are really tied together there, but but I think I think in Psalm 45 we see a basic thing. It, really, if we had the time, I'd love to read the whole psalm. There's a wonderful uh, aspect to this of appreciating the Messiah. But let's look at verse 6, Psalm 45 and verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. 
All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad, kings and daughters are among your, no, your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Um, we can see how that kind of ties into a lot of the things in this. Um, the phrase, one of the phrases I had, had picked out was the idea in verse one, he says, garments so wondrous fine. That goes along with what we're talking about. Myrrh, their texture fills. Uh, so, so the, the, the appreciation of the Messiah as he is verse, uh, verse two. For aloes had a part at that first line, you know, his sorrow sore for aloes had a part. Well, what are we talking about there? Well, we know that there were times, uh, certainly one specific time, where a woman anointed Jesus with uh, fragrant oil. And in Matthew twenty six twelve, uh, it, she, he says, In pouring this fragrant oil in my body, she did it for my burial. Similar thing in John 12 and verse 7. Uh, she's kept this for the day of my burial. And then in the third verse, in garments glorious, he will come. Uh, Revelation, of course, focuses uh, at times on what Jesus is clothed in. Revelation one thirteen mentions he's clothed in a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Revelation 19 and verse 13, he, has, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Um. Let's go into the general meaning of these verses. I think verse 1 shows us the appearance and general pull toward Jesus, I think we could see. And and let's understand, this is all figurative, right? Um, we know the scriptures say that Jesus, there wasn't anything inherent about him. You know, we read Isaiah 53, there wasn't anything inherent about him that you look at him, oh, this is, this is somebody I need to be around. In fact, it was quite the opposite. You look pretty normal is what... We get from the scriptures, but, uh, but read with me the first verse. My Lord has garments so wondrous fine and myrrh their texture fills. Its fragrance reached in the, in to this heart of mine with joy. My being thrilled thrills. So this appearance of Jesus, the, the pull toward Jesus, uh, the, the attraction to him. Look at verse two, his life had also its sorrows sore for aloes had a part and when I think of the cross he bore, my eyes with teardrops start. And I love the way that this song actually goes to what our true pull should be, not this outward appearance thing, not this materialistic thing per se, but what Jesus said. Jesus himself said that he would, if he was lifted up, meaning being lifted up on the cross, he would draw all men unto him. And that tells us that the draw is the cross. And I think that's what this song is getting into. Verse 3, in garments glorious he will come to open wide the door, and I shall enter my heavenly home to dwell forevermore. So the return of Jesus and the entrance into heaven. Look also at the chorus, out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. So I, I would say there's a little bit of a difference here when you look back at Psalm 45, you know, Garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces uh, in verse 8. I think in, in there, that would be more of a symbolic nature. In the reader's mind, it would just be that association. 
But here I think you've got this idea that I think is a very good aspect for us to appreciate about the story of Jesus, especially as we're getting close to the end of the year. We're getting close to a time when people will be celebrating the birth of Jesus. We need to be reminded that the story of the birth of Jesus is a joyous story, but you think of it from Jesus' perspective. He came from a place of great comfort and uh, uh, great power and great wonder, and he came to a world that's decaying and dying. Uh, He left heaven to come here and a place where he was unknown and mistreated. And what could bring him here? Only love could make him do that. And that's one of the greatest things we can appreciate about this song. Uh, Of course, Isaiah 53, 3, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Any questions or comments about that? Let's, uh, let's just sing the first, first verse, if that's okay. We'll just kind of keep it to that. 447. 447. Since we just finished looking at that, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. 447. My Lord has garments so wondrous fine, and myrrh their texture fills. Its fragrance reached in this heart of mine, with joy my being thrills. Out of the ivory palaces, into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. Very good. Now if we look at 162, Night with Eben Pinion. I would venture to say that uh, among brethren, there's definitely a minority that knows what Eben Pinion means. Uh, you don't have to know what Eben Pinion means, I think, to know what this song is about, though. And uh, so, Night with Eben Pinion, what does that Eben Pinion mean? Um, the things I've looked up and seen is Eben Pinion means wings of darkness. And it brings up sort of this imagery. When you think about this in terms of uh, Eben Pinion and then brooded or the veil, what do we think of when we think of a brood? Chickens, yeah. And if we, if we kind of plug in some things that Jesus says in Matthew 23, what did he say about Jerusalem? You kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you. How I would have loved to do what? What would he have loved to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brooding as a verb is uh, like uh, sorrowful or something. Mm. I think, isn't it? It can be like I I was brooding over my problems. Right. I think it's being sorrowful or whatever. um, Thinking deeply. Yeah, that would be. I think that more fits with that. I mean, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. um, I think the. The, that first section is like you say that's just talking about that darkness think deeply mm-hmm. and then mm. this okay that's what it said about that's something that makes one unhappy yeah you know 
brooding would be you're generally contemplating a problem or whatever, but or the veil, you know, he came to tear the veil or whatever. And so hmm. Different kind of veil. It's a different kind of veil. Mr. Gary? No. Oh, okay. I, I think it's almost an inversion of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 23 because the idea of him taking in Jerusalem as a chick, chicken takes in her chicks, that's actually a, a positive thought that Jesus would help them and be there to nurture and take care of them. This is almost an inversion of that because here's Jesus. Jesus is the one that needs help. Jesus is the one that's all alone. And so what this song seems to be uh, painting, this, this scene, is that this darkness that is held over this scene. And so Jesus in, in the garden, um, and, you know, uh, Andrew read from Luke 22, and I've got Luke 22, verse 44, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That verse on its own should prove to us how, stressful and how serious this was uh, this was this was some great stress uh, in terms of Jesus I would say basically <clears throat> excuse me the rest of the song really I think is sort of self-explanatory uh, um, and we can run through them in just a second but uh, there's a lot of good things in here um, looking at verse 1 I think we're talking about the darkness or the dread in Gethsemane. Night with ebon pinion brooded o'er the veil. All around was silence save the night wind's wail. When Christ the man of sorrows and tears and sweat as blood prostrate in the garden raised his voice to God. Verse 2 uh, speaks about sort of, to me, the solitude there. Smitten for offenses which were not his own, he for our transgressions had to weep alone. No friend with words to comfort nor hand to help was there when the meek and lowly humbly bowed in prayer. And of course, we also read about how you know, uh, Peter, James, and John were sleeping. They, they weren't right there with Jesus, but they were sort of uh, out, uh, out away from him. Verse 3, of course, speaks toward the will of the Son given to the Father in Gethsemane. Abba, Father, Father, if indeed it may, let this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray, yet if it must be suffered by me, thine only Son, Abba, Father, Father, let thy will be done. Let's, um, let's sing verses 1 and verse 3 of this. Night with ebon pinion brooded o'er the veil. All around was silent, save the night wind's wail. When Christ, the man of sorrows, in tears and sweat as blood prostrate in the garden raised his voice to god abba father father if indeed it may let 
this cup of anguish pass from me, I pray. Yet if it must be suffered by me, thine only Son, Abba, Father, Father, let thy will be done. Any questions or comments about that? 168. 168. Really, these last two, to me, do not have too much as far as really phrases that are hard or words that are hard to understand, but they do have some messages that are going to be useful for us. Um, So 168 beneath the cross of Jesus. Um, I've certainly not really thought a lot before about uh, what it means when it says I fain would take my stand. I fain would take my stand. Well, fain typically means willing or pleased. And it's actually used a couple of places in the scriptures. You can find in uh, Job 27 and 22, he would fain flee out of his hand. And then Luke 20, uh, excuse me, Luke 15 and verse 16 with the prodigal son, he would fain have filled his belly with husks. Again, it's one of these older uh, words that we just don't use. Um, but it's just, it speaks toward this desire. And so when we kind of plug that into the song, beneath the cross of Jesus, I would, it, it would be my pleasure to take my stand, or it would please me to take my stand beneath the cross of Jesus. Um, Andrew read from Philippians 2. I've got that on my notes. But also uh, Galatians 6.14 says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And uh, one of the things that I see in this verse, I think uh, in this song, I think verse 1, you see Jesus is a shelter and Jesus' sacrifice is a great shelter to us and a great shield. Verse 2, we see Jesus as this sacrifice and the actual work of that sacrifice. And then, verse 3, really that focus that we need to have. Um, I don't really have a whole lot other than that. Any questions or comments on that? And a lot of what David says in the Psalms is him thinking of God as this shield or protector. Mm-hmm. And all that. It makes me think of what you're saying about him being a protector of us. Yeah, yeah, and there's a there's a great benefit to that uh, when we remember those things uh, in our everyday life. Very good. Anything else? Let's go ahead and try to sing all three verses. <clears throat> Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home with 
within the wilderness are rest upon the way. For the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye, it seems, can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears to wonders I confess the wonders of his glorious love and my unworthiness. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. <clears throat> no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory all the cross. And that last line there, my sinful self, my only shame again. Someone with a Calvinist lean could take that and to say, well, see, I'm still sinful, but then Christ clothes me and my glory is in the cross because I'm still sinful, but Christ clothes me. We, we know that's not the biblical truth. But when we think about this, my sinful self, my only shame, you know, I, I don't know about you, but my sinful past is still my shame. And so I think in that sense, I think I can still sing that. So anyway, um, Questions or comments about that? I've got one more. 422. 422, Jesus saves. And really this, this uh, song is all about, uh, I would say it's all about evangelism. Uh, really, and again, I don't really have any special phrases here that are hard to understand. But I think it, it's helpful for us to consider what's being said here. So look at verse 1. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward, tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves. And, of course, that's the command that we have to go out and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 18, and uh, Mark 16, verse 15. We know that we're commanded to do this. And so it's this joyful sound we've heard. We need to push this out there into the world. Verse 2, uh, interesting thing here. You look at waft it on the rolling tide. Tell it to sinners far and wide. Now waft, by the way, would just basically be, you know, push it out. You know, it's when like a smell wafting somewhere 
sing ye islands of the sea, echo back ye ocean caves, earth shall keep her jubilee, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Um, I think the idea of, you know, you're asking the islands of the sea or the ocean waves to echo back about this and the idea of earth keeping her jubilee. What was the year of jubilee under the old law? It was a restart. It was a re- new beginning. And I think this this speaks, or maybe I'm plugging into this a little bit too much, but I think this could speak toward um, the idea that evangelism brings the new birth. Uh, in John chapter 3, we see that uh, man needs to be born again to see the kingdom of God and be a part of the kingdom of God. And that new birth happens, of course, at the time of baptism, which comes from us going out and evangelizing. Verse 3, Sing above the battle strife, Jesus saves. By his death and endless life, Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom when the heart for mercy craves. Sing in triumph for the tomb, Jesus saves. And evangelism really, it, it cheers our hearts. It helps us to cope with these different things. You know, um, turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. There's an aspect to this. And again, I, I know that we're, we're looking at different things here, but there's an aspect to evangelism where we cannot keep it bottled up. We can't, we can't hold it back. And Jeremiah speaks toward this in Jeremiah 20 and verse 7. Jeremiah 20 and verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then he will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and they will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But O Lord of hosts, who can you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Uh, I don't know if any of you have the ESV, but I love the way that it renders um, specifically verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Uh, We need that level of encouragement to know that God is with us. And if we stand with his truth, he's with us. And I think, again, this this uh, I think verse three hits on that, you know, sing it softly through the gloom when the heart for mercy craves. It's the idea that. In these times when we are having these troubles and, and we're feeling pressure even from sharing this, uh, this message, we need to remember that, that God, God's people have always suffered for the message and will we'll continue to suffer for the message, but it's, it's not our glory, it's His glory. Verse 4, uh, back in the song, Give the winds a mighty voice, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free, 
highest hills and deepest caves, this our song of victory, Jesus saves. Um, Psalm 107 in verses 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You know, what, what sense does it make for us to have this message, to be saved in this great way and never tell anybody about it? That's really one of the things for us to consider and to think about. Um, I don't know if anybody knows who Penn Jillette is, the magician dude. He's like, this guy that's famous. But he was quoted once as saying, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This is a guy who's an atheist, by the way. You know, um, That should be an interesting lesson for us to think about. You know, what am I doing in my daily life to show forth Jesus and to proclaim this message? Comments or questions about that? Well, let's sing number 422. And uh, if there isn't any other discussion, we'll, uh, we'll dismiss after that. Number 422. Give me a second here. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves, onward tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Wafted on the rolling tide, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell to sinners far and wide, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing ye islands of the sea, echo back ye ocean waves. Earth shall keep her jubilee, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing above the battle strife, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. By his death and endless life, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom, when the heart for mercy craves. Sing in triumph o'er the tomb, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Give the winds a mighty voice, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing nation full and free, highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory, Jesus saves, Jesus saves.